0: So again, we'd we'd love to have anybody who's available to come and and join us tonight for the Super Bowl party. Uh, It's going to be starting about three, but I'm going to be hanging out here most of the day. So if you want to come and uh, bounce in the bounce house before all those kids come and ruin our fun tonight, um, you're welcome. That'd be really weird, but we could do it if you guys want to. Uh, Anyone anyone is is, uh, welcome to come join us. So we started a series last week called Change, thinking about how we make positive changes in our lives. And something that I mentioned last week, which I hope is something that we all can uh, participate in, is that uh, I hope that if you're part of our church in this year, that uh, you make some sort of positive change in your life, that you think about something and say, I want to work on this or um, be part of this or just make some sort of positive change. Because I want this to be a place where we are actually become more like Christ, that we get to um, like follow in the, the spirit that he calls us to, that we would say, you know, I do need to make this change and work on this and grow in this area, and that we would do that together, that we would be honest, that we're all broken, we all have stuff that we're working through and working on, and that we'd be a place that in the next year you could say, you know, that was hard for me to make that change, but I'm so happy that I did. And last week, again, I would recommend going and checking out that sermon just to begin that conversation. It's us recognizing that we're powerless at times. There are things that that we just need to just say, God, I need your spirit and your presence to guide me on this. I can't do this on my own. And I shared the quote from poet W.H. Auden last week that said, we would rather be ruined than change. We would rather die in our dread than climb on the cross of the moment and let our illusions die. And we would sometimes rather not change. Even when we know we really need to change, we'd rather let things die, perhaps, instead of change. And unfortunately, at times, I think that even places like churches can become places where we're not getting to the heart of how we're supposed to actually understand ourselves. So we can come week after week and start to look around and think like, oh, it seems like everybody else kind of has it together and everybody like seems to be doing a little bit better than I am. And you kind of look to your right and to your left to kind of understand how you are on your walk um, with God. Just a few weeks ago, uh, Lars sent me a text. He had seen this um, picture. Uh, I know it's a little bit hard for, for you to read, but it's at this Episcopal church, I believe in Texas somewhere. And it has a little form that says, I gave electronically or by other means. And you could put that card in just like so everyone sees around you. Just FYI, like I am giving. Um, just I want to put this card in like just so everyone is, everyone paying attention. I am giving, but I'm doing it uh, electronically. And I have to say that's kind of brilliant. When I was in ministry school actually an an advisor of ours said every week you should give like if you're preaching so you like so everyone can see that and I do need to tell you guys I do give electronically now so FYI uh, so I understand uh, why this is and why this is important. I also find this a little bit ironic that this is right next to like the the three wise men although we know from the Christmas wrap this year if you guys listened that it wasn't necessarily only three wise men but um like these these three individuals like they carried things long distances to give gifts to Jesus, right? They did a lot to like bring the gifts to Jesus. And so like sitting right in front, of it, it's like, I couldn't bring my checkbook, sorry. You know, it's like kind of a weird juxtaposition that they have um, right there. But this can unfortunately, I think, can be our experience with faith at times. It's like, okay, well, how am I doing as compared to everyone else? Like just FYI, everybody, I'm putting something in the tray even if I'm not doing it right now. This can be how we can end up viewing our faith in, instead of, we need to be transformed personally, and that happens in community through confession. But it isn't about us looking to the right and to the left. It's about us, like, seriously coming to God and saying, God, what, what do you need to change in my heart? What is it that you need some control of? What are some things that I need to work on? And it's unfortunate because typically when we think of addiction, as we talked about last week, it's like a certain category of people that are addicted to a certain category of, of thing. And we have this, this label, like, oh, that, that's just an addicted person. But in reality, we all are addicted to stuff. We're all holding on to stuff a little bit too tightly that I think if we really allow God's Spirit to work on our hearts, we would say, yeah, I need to let that go. In Second Peter, Peter says this. It's, it's a Uh, quote, people are slaves to whatever has mastered them. And we need to recognize there are things that all of us are continuing to participate in that we need to say, I I need to work on that. I need to give that up. And when people make positive changes in their lives, I know for me, I, I started running, I was Interested in in a girl who had been um, on a cross country team in high school, and so she said, do "You want to meet up to run?" And I was just interested in meeting up, really. But was um, <laughs> like, sure, if running is involved, I guess I guess that's what I got to do. And uh, she had been on the cross country team, and so for her, a warm up was four miles. <laughs> for me, I had never done more than two miles, but I was interested, so I just like kept chugging along um, for for those four miles and. Actually, through that, nothing actually went anywhere. She just liked me as a running conversation partner, which was especially hard because I was always out of breath. But <laughs> as I slowly learned from her, like I actually learned to, to like running. And Mandy will tell you to this day that if I uh, don't have the opportunity to run a couple times a week, I'm just kind of itching to do it because it's become a part a part of my life that I, that I enjoy and something that is uh, important to me. So there's points in our lives when things that We, at one point, would say, I could never do that. I could never make that change. Like, eventually we go, oh, that's actually perhaps a better way to live, right? Perhaps it's a diet for you that you've made some changes, and at first it was really hard for you to give up something, and then you're like, after a while, like, I just, I don't know, I feel better when I don't have all of this, all right? You know, I feel better when I don't have that. So what is it, perhaps, that you need to say, God, I need to change in my life. I need to give up some of my resentment. I need to give up some of the ways that I'm just holding on to stuff a little bit too tightly. And think about the ways that Jesus interacted with people. And oftentimes we think of Jesus as just like this, this, this love guy, you know, and I, I think that's true. That's a somewhat accurate characteristic, but especially for those of us who consider ourselves to be religious, I and mean, he was the hardest on religious people. He said some really hard things to people who were like showing up at the temple all the time and going through all the acts and being as religious as possible, but he would try to say, no, 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 no. you have to get to the heart of this. You can't just like do this stuff on the outside of the surface, focus on the inside of the bowl, not just on the outside. And think about the interactions that he has with people. Sometimes he's loving and and very generous and, and kind, but there are times that he gets like right to the heart of what someone needs to change. The rich young ruler comes to him and he's enjoying a very luxurious life and Jesus says, yeah, like you've done pretty great in the way that you've lived, but um, sell your possessions and give it to the poor. And that cuts him right to the heart, right? And I like to think about how that guy, he probably heard about some things that Jesus did. Maybe he heard some rumblings about this guy being crucified on the cross. And he sat on his leather couch and missed the whole thing. Because what Jesus said to him was hard, and it was really difficult. Jesus cut him right to the heart and said, this is what you have to give up. So what is that for you? Maybe you need to say, I I need to to walk away from this. I need to make this change. And ultimately, I think it helps us all to live as as better people. One of the, the big parts of this series that I'm going to keep uh, talking about and hopefully something that you um, think of often is that all of us are going to be sinners. We're all going to be broken. But hopefully you're not struggling with the same sin five years from now that you are right now. Hopefully there's there's some growth and some movement and some things that you say, you know, that that was something that used to bother me, but now I've moved forward in my life. And it's ultimately because God cares for us. God wants good things for us. In Matthew chapter 10, Jesus says this, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny, yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. And even the very hairs on your head are all numbered, which is getting a little easier for me now. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. I'm, I'm glad my son Carter's not in for this because he is a freak about birds. And so uh, it's a very weird thing to have, but he just loves birds. So you guys are worth more than birds. God cares about us. God knows what's going on in your life. I mean, foundationally, I think we would say that we believe this. Do we understand that the, the love of God is, is for all of us? It's not just for people who are far from God. In fact, the people who sometimes need to experience it the most are the people who are actually, you know, somewhat around more often. Those of us who sometimes need to be reminded of just how wonderful the love of God is. So during this series, we're looking at some principles from an organization which we are considering uh, starting at our church called Celebrate Recovery. And it basically exists with this premise that uh, all of us are recovering from something and all of us need to work through certain things. And so we looked at the first principle last week and this principle is, uh, the second one, it's earnestly believe that God exists, that I matter to God and that he has the power to help me recover. I mean, Foundationally, do you believe that there are things that God would look at in your life and say, you know, I know you're a sinner, you're not perfect, but you're like, come forward, let's, let's work on this together. You're not alone, and it's because I care about you that I want you to work on this. It's because I care about you that I want you to move forward. I can't help but think of the story of the prodigal son, which is arguably Jesus' most famous teaching, so you're likely familiar with it if you've been around church for any amount of time. But this son comes to his father, and he says, "'Give me your inheritance.'" And that was a total slap in the face. And I've read books about how that was basically like telling your, your father, you know, I wish you were dead. Your worth on this earth to me is over. So just let me cash out right now and let, let's move on. And I was reading about how that was like so offensive in, in that culture and in that day and time. But actually that's still pretty offensive. I think like if you to go go to mom or dad and be like, Mom and dad, just go ahead, cash me out, whatever, whatever. It's like It's always funny when you read it, it's like, this would be so offensive. It's like, yeah, it kind of still would be today if you did that. Um, so he gets all this money and then takes it, and he goes to, to a far-off land, and it's very extravagant and, and wasteful and, and just goes through it all way too quickly and ends up, eating uh, next to pigs, and he's like, oh, just craving for what the pigs are eating, which if you know anything about Jewish culture, they're not fans of pigs or bacon for that matter, you know, so for him to be at this point, the scriptures are basically screaming at us, like, this is the lowest of the low, all right? This is not like, oh, he got in a little bit of trouble, like, actually being among pigs and desiring to eat the slop, like, that is, like, the lowest of the low that someone uh, could be at. This is just a, a terrible position, and in that place... He's like, you know, it would probably be better for me if I was one of my father's servants. If I went back into his house and I begged him, even though I've done this horribly offensive thing, if I begged him for a spot back in his house, like that would be a better position than this because this right now is terrible. So he begins that walk back and his father is looking out over the horizon for him. And before He can even get there. His father is running to him. Which, again, as I was reading some context on that, you don't run in that place. That's a time when you would wear tunics. I mean, no one looks good running really today unless you're like a trained athlete. But in that time, you didn't run with like a tunic flying. You just didn't do that. It was embarrassing. If you were a person of a certain status, like you just, you didn't run. But his father, when he sees his son, He runs to be with him. And then he gives him some things to hold on to. Luke chapter 15, verse 22 says, the father says to his servants, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. His father comes to him and he gives him these things as these like tangible reminders. Think of how he smelled at this moment. Maybe one of the worst smells you've ever smelled. Just think of that context. I mean, he's, on, he's on this journey. He's coming back to his father. And over that filth, he puts on the, this robe. It's a representation of how his father now sees him. Put a ring on his finger, it would have been a family ring. It would have symbolized the authority, the access that he would have to to resources that his father has. And put put some new footwear, put some new sandals on his feet. So everywhere he walks, he'll remember who I say that he is. Think of these tangible reminders, how we all sometimes need tangible things that remind us these important spiritual realities. And then he says, let's throw a huge party. We're going to kill the fatted calf. He's ready after all these years of eating. We're going to have this celebration. Go get the best DJ that you have. Let's have a big party because he has come back. And everyone in the Father's house is excited about this, except the older brother. And there's this interaction starting in Luke chapter 15, verses 25 through 31. The older son was out working in the field, which he was always doing. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. He called one of the servants and asked, What was going on? Your brother has come home, the servant replied, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in, so his father went out and pleaded with him. Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. You never even gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, and notice the distance, not my brother, when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fatted calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. Think for a moment about the broken hearted way that the father says this to his son, are you serious? Is this how you thought about this all this time? that you were doing this labor and doing this stuff not because you were here because you loved me and you understood my love for you, and this was like a this is how you felt about this. the younger. Brother, when he is gone, when he is out and lives extravagantly, he has this bright idea. You know, I could go be a servant in my father's household and that would be better. And his older brother, he's there still and he considers himself a servant. Even though the father is like, What What are you talking about? All this stuff is yours. And what's profound about this story and what I think we all need to hear is the father, when he sees the son coming home and he sees him off in the distance and he runs to meet him, we see this moment. It's this dramatic thing. He goes out to meet his son who's coming from a long distance. But But the father also goes out to meet the older brother as well. The father also steps outside of this party to say, hey, come on. Come in. Both sons have this idea, you know, I'm just a servant. If I could just get into this servant's place, then I could still be here, but the Father is inviting them into so much more. Jesus tells this story to a group that is gathered. It tells us at the beginning of Luke chapter 15. A group of very religious people and a group of people who are not very religious. And so, all people would have been equally a little bit offended. Maybe they all would have been like, all right, right." he says this to give a good word to everyone who needs it. Because if you're somebody who regularly attends church and participates in the things that you feel like God is calling you to, it's so easy to end up in this older brother mentality, to have certain assumptions about how God should treat you and the way that God should love you. And, you know, God, you know, I, I served at Asensia four months in a row, right? So, like, I've been, I've been like, doing, and it's just easy to fall into this mindset. Instead of being in this space where we say we actively, at any given moment, need the love of God, we actively need that. We actively need God to remind us of this love. So we have certain categories of things that we would say are like uh, addiction or the things that people get into like their low points with God, but yet like things like bitterness and and resentment or gossip, those things we kind of just let exist because those are a little more acceptable, right? And I've known Christian people who are here every single week, and I'm not talking about any of you, who can squander their lives in bitterness and resentment I think God would say to you and to me, come on, step out of that, because that's not who I've called you to be, because the story of the prodigal son is really the story of the prodigal sons, it has a pretty bad name actually, because <laughs> both of them actually are far from God. And some of this story actually should be called The Prodigal God because it's about the extravagant love of God who continues to love people who sometimes are really dramatically far from him who need to come home and those who sometimes are actually close but still truly need to come home. Because we all need the active reminder of God's presence. We all need the the love of God to continue to move us forward. The question that I would have for myself and, and for you is, okay, if you believe in God's love and you believe that God cares for you, how is that changing you? Not how did that change you a long time ago where you got convinced at Bible camp and went forward crying and got baptized. That's great. But how is that continuing to change you? How is that love pushing you forward? How is it helping you to take steps to to work in a positive direction, to to move in the direction of God? Again, yeah, we always are going to be struggling with sin, but how are we working through some stuff? So we are becoming better neighbors, better people, better classmates, better coworkers to show the love of God to a very hurting world. Maybe my favorite passage in Scripture is found in the Gospel of John. John um, is telling us this really intimate interaction that Jesus has with his disciples. And he's basically telling them, you don't fully understand all this yet, but I'm going to be leaving soon, and let me teach about this and help you to k- k- try and like, get a little bit around wh- what it is that I'm going to need from you. He talks about, like, I'm the vine, you're the branches. What you need to do is stay connected to me. And he says this, which is something that I think I try to live out All the time, I fail at it all the time, but um, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. Remain in my love. This is such a hard challenge that we would always be defined by the love of Christ we wouldn't get to a point that, you know, I worked through some stuff and now I've arrived at this space. It is, we all are actively in need of the grace and the love of God. That I am doing what I can to remain in it. What does that look like for you? Does it look like regularly reading in the Gospels? Or is it a song? you can play on your way to work? Or is it finding time to be still, to breathe, to recognize that God's presence is with you? Because we all need it. Whether you're somebody at this moment who feels like you're far from God, or if you're someone who is somewhat around God, we all need to recognize the great need that we have Grace. There's a story that is found in uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke about the uh, temptation of Jesus, and it's this really profound story that has a whole lot of meaning that I could talk about. But generally, when when I think about that story, I, I think about how it seems like Jesus is at the end of his rope. I love how Luke says it. He says this, if you go to the next slide, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Where, for forty days, he was tempted by the devil, he ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them, he was hungry. Thanks, Luke. I like how Luke says is like the most like, <laughs> thank you for that uh, description. Just just in case you missed it uh, if you don 't eat something for forty days you're you're going to be going to be hungry and generally when when I think about this story when i 've heard this this story preached, i genu- generally think of it as. Like, okay, then he's tempted, right? He's, you know, he's at the end of his rope and like barely hanging on, and yet he's still able to overcome. The, the devil tempts him with all the stuff that we like fall into traps with all the time, and yet Jesus is able to overcome even when he's so hungry. He's able to do it. But I was doing some reading recently, it kind of transformed my feeling on this that maybe it was him being removed. And spending that time deeply connecting himself to God. Maybe that's what he needed to actually be able to fight these temptations. Dallas Willard says this, Most to whom I've spoken with about this matter are shocked that this place of solitude and deprivation is actually a place of strength and strengthening for our Lord. The Spirit would lead him there to make sure Christ was in the best possible place for the trial. In that desert solitude, Jesus fasted for more than a month. Then and not before, Satan was allowed to approach him with his glittering proposals. Only then was Jesus at the height of his strength. The desert was his fortress, his place of power. Throughout his life, he sought the solitary place. So, this isn't about Jesus being so hungry and still able to overcome. It was about him needing that space, perhaps, to then have what he needed to overcome. It's about finding the transforming power of God. And then throughout his ministry, Jesus is pressed in on every side, and people are coming up to him constantly proposing stuff. And it's good stuff. Honestly, one of the hardest challenges, I think, in our lives is finding ways to say yes to what is most best, if I could say it weirdly. If we could find the ways to say, yeah, okay, I need to do that, and I don't need to do this. God, you've called me to this, and this is what is truly most important. This is what I need to be doing. But Jesus, sometimes, like, he walks away. He's so busy, and you'd think, okay, couldn't you do more healings? Couldn't you do more of this stuff? But Jesus says no to certain things, so he could go and find that place of solitude because it's in that place that he's transformed to do the work that God needs him to do. May we understand that we need to find ways that we actively remember and grow in our understanding of the grace of God. I've heard it said that you could think about the grace of God for thousands of years and only understand 1% of it may we remain in the love of god understand that there are things that god needs to do on my heart there are things that god needs to do on all of our hearts so we could more fully live into the love that he has for us and this isn't about ever getting to a point that we get it all right but it's about us finding more peace more love and truly transforming our world through ourselves. What would it look like for you to enter into the party? Maybe you're somebody who just needs to enter in. Maybe you're somebody who is far from God and thinks like, I just don't know if I can get back there, but just as the father in the story of the prodigal son is looking out on the horizon, God looks for all of us. May we recognize our need for the active grace of God at any given moment. And may we see in the story of the temptation of Jesus that yes, this is truly where his power comes from, his deep connection to God. Let's pray together. God, as we sing this morning one more time, may we remember who you are. May we remember your unbelievable grace may we remain in your love. What an amazing challenge that is. So, For those of us who find ourselves far from you, maybe recognize that you are looking for us on the horizon. And for those of us who are close, maybe recognize that there's things that we need to let go of to enter into your party. Father, may we be led by your spirit and your presence and not ourselves. Your Son, Jesus, I pray. Amen.